podcast is, I hope, a sort of digital stoa, a place to delve deeply into conversation with people of all kinds who are committed to making their lives or the lives of others as good as they can be. So we're here to explore a wide range of perspectives, practices, traditions, techniques, and maybe most importantly, the people behind them. Primal Nature is a podcast and a psychedelic retreat center in northern Spain. Today's conversation is with Blanca Dacias-Buch, a psychedelic therapist who works with Internal Family Systems, or IFS. She's based in New York City and is the co-founder of IFS Guide, which is a company that's working with technology in really some, some pretty innovative ways with the goal of providing effective therapeutic tools for people far more accessibly than traditional models would, would allow for. So we talk about her approach to healing, the value of IFS as a framework for psychedelic therapy, her personal experience with plant medicine, and quite a bit more. Okay, so hello, welcome, welcome back. Hello, thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me again. Yeah, oh, that's great. So we, yeah, we did a, a podcast in Spanish, what was that, a week ago, something like that? Yeah. Yeah, and for today, I guess, I'm assuming most people are familiar with IFS, or at least can sort of figure it out on their own just by, you know, searching on online. I kind of wanted to get more into, I don't know, I guess your, your personal story and, okay. and also kind of trying to demystify the psychedelic experience, mm. uh, specifically as like a, a therapeutic tool. Um, I think, you know, it's, there's getting, it's getting a lot of press and a lot of different organizations are, you know, pushing really hard to make it more mainstream, but I feel like mm. a lot of times it's still presented as this like deep mystery that only you know certain shamans or you know people with you know five degrees after their names can can do well <laughs> you know and with all and, the all the acronyms you know yeah. i need 10 acronyms after my name <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and, and i don't know i mean i think there's there is reason to be cautious and mm-hmm. and i don't know be, be careful, consider, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely powerful medicine for sure. Um, yeah. and I, I understand there's, there's a really strong impulse, especially in the States to kind of avoid the, the mistakes of the sixties basically. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I have a lot of respect for that, but at the same time, I think there's, there's often kind of unintended consequences, which is sort of disempowering people. And again, sort of putting people in a passive position and saying, look, this is too complicated for you to do on your own. Just go see an expert, you know, and they're, they're going to tell you what to do and they're going to take care of you. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's, I don't know, that's disturbing to me because I think like one of the best things about psychedelics is, is you can do it on your own or with, you know, a bit of guidance, a bit of help. It's not, mm-hmm. it's definitely powerful, but it's not necessarily mysterious. You know, so, so I don't know, I guess, yeah, a, yeah. but uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, definitely. A lot of things are coming up for me. Um, so yeah, a lot of things. <laughs> um, so I come from a place in Spain called Valencia, which I mentioned this a little bit in the Spanish um, podcast. It's it was very known in the 80s for huge parties like from like 
four weekend long, people nonstop will hop from one club to another one from Thursday evening to Monday uh, morning. Um, and it will still go Monday throughout the day. So I remember I was introduced to psychedelic assisted therapy by my partner. And he had been like researching a lot about it, reading. He had a lot of curiosity. He had tried some things here and there and mostly on his own. And, and when he presented it to me, I remember I was like, wait, what? Those for me were party drugs. Maybe not, maybe not that much mushrooms, but what is LSD or MDMA? Um, I was like, no, no, no. I, you know, I had a part that was like very cautious and had a lot of judgment towards it. And, and I was like, well, if it's, if it's mushroom, if it's like the plant-based medicine, maybe, yeah, because it's natural, um, so I do feel that in, at least in Spain, there's a lot of the tag of drug yeah. and it's a drug and, and people don't know the difference between psychedelics and other type of drugs like cocaine or heroin. And, and for me, I remember I started doing a lot of research, like what's the difference? Mm -hmm. I was also, um, I was also a fitness competitor. So I was like, I need to know what's going into my body. I need to mm. know how this is affecting my body. And Sorry, a I fit, fitness competitor. What is that? Yeah, like I used to do fitness, so I, I used I, to do I don't fit, know what that is. like bodybuilding competitions. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> you you're a dancer too, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm a dancer oh. as well. Yeah, okay. yeah. Colorful past. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so for me, it was like I need to know what this does to my body before I take anything how is it affecting my hormones how is it actually affecting my body and there I started to really learn the difference between other sort of drugs and psychedelics and that's a big big um yeah distinction that many people I feel still have a bit of the stigma of like, oh, it's a drug. Yeah. And so just to clarify, I mean, when you're talking about your boyfriend or your, your partner, that's uh, an American who you met in the States, because I mean, you, you moved mm -hmm. out of Spain, came to study in the States. Yeah, exactly. You live in practice in the States. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so do you, do you find a lot of people you work with come with those sort of worries or doubts, um, kind of skeptical about psychedelics? Or do you find most people sort of know what what the difference is and are comfortable with that no i feel a lot of people you know there's also maybe here in the u.s because of what happened in the 80s in the 70s there's a lot of stories or even people that you know stories of people that do ayahuasca and suddenly their whole life changes and they go to the i don't know become a monk in the tibet i don't know something yeah. like so i feel that people they, there's two different uh, fears that I find is like if I mention it to someone mm -hmm. they'll be like oh that's a drug you know th they would be curious but it's a drug uh, or there would be this huge fear of like oh, what's gonna come up how is this gonna change my life mm -hmm. and I know it's gonna be helpful but I'm very scared of the impact and what if yeah. it brings up stuff that 
I don't even want to know. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a, a quote from, I think it was Carl Jung. He says, uh, beware of unearned wisdom. And it's something I had one of my clients recently uh, share with me. And she was, that was kind of the way she expressed her, her nervousness about that. It's like, what if I'm not ready for this? You know? Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, what do you, how do you respond to that when, when people come to you with those words? Um, I just say we can work with it. I can help you explore those fears. I can help you explore those parts and just reassure them that nothing needs to happen until the whole system, you know, the whole person is on board. Um, and, and we just explore, we, I use IFS to explore the, those fears. So one part at a time, there's certain exercises that we do uh, and also certain meditations to shed light on the parts that are going to be holding on to you and not let you go during the experience or that are going to resist during the experience, which is actually what makes the experience extremely hard when you're resisting to it. Yeah. So then uh, we use IFS to to help those parts calm down and address concerns. And even sometimes some healing needs to happen before you, you even go into the experience. Yeah, because you work, you work as an IFS therapist mm -hmm. and also IFS assisted psychedelic therapy. Yeah, or, exactly. I guess uh, <laughs> psychedelic assisted IFS therapy. I don't know how, how you frame it, but yeah. 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 So it's bringing IFS in the preparation, the session, and then the integration. Yeah. Yeah. Could you, could you walk us through sort of what might a person's journey be like? I mean, imagine I'll give you a, a sort mm -hmm. of hypothetical account. So like, imagine, imagine I've never done psychedelics before. Um, I've heard a lot about them. I'm interested because yeah, there's just, there's a lot of hype out there. A lot of people say they're amazing. And, um, and I don't know, let's say I'm just kind of generally dissatisfied with my life. Like I've got an okay job. I've got an okay partner, but like, I'm just, I feel like I'm missing out on something. Right. Um, there's some part of me that isn't being realized or like, I'm just got a sort of base level anxiety and discontent with my life um mm -hmm. imagine hmm. well this is this is a, a personal detail I've, I've been thinking about a, a lot recently so imagine um i'm i'm in a monogamous relationship i'm thinking about opening up to like a polyamory or some sort of some version of something sort of more open and coming up with a lot of like jealousy issues. And I want to go into that. I want to see like what's going on there. Is this something I should be paying attention to and listening to, or is it just like my culturally conditioned mind? Uh, and, you know, I should just kind of let it go and, and just open the floodgates and see what happens. <laughs> so how do you, how do you work uh, with me? What do you do? I would say I hear a lot of parts there. Um, I would, I would, I would address one at a time, right? So there's one, one aspect of it that you're generally dissatisfied with your life. There's something that you know that it's not working. Now, 
from there you have a part that says oh maybe psychedelics can help me uh, I'm curious about this tool and how can I use it to feel more fulfilled and more whole in my life and then there's also this other part that it's questioning how how does it relate to other people right and whether it's conditioned or not and I would say okay let's see first um what are the parts that are not satisfied in your life let's map that out what is everything that comes up maybe not focusing on the content but what are the feelings the emotions the sensations that come up when you feel that dissatisfaction and let's put them all on the table and literally we like write it down mm -hmm. and maybe from there we'll see that part of that my intuition would say the relationship aspect is going to be part of it mm -hmm. right and so, and so, sorry no so, so yeah, they would be like behind each sort of emotion or dissatisfaction like that's a part so yeah yeah so once ayahuasca the part that uh that's considering polyamory the part that's you know just dissatisfied those are all individual parts and each one has to be explored separately exactly okay exactly and under that big umbrella there's probably more parts so for example the part that wants to try ayahuasca there's probably a part that it's excited it's curious but maybe there's another one that it's scared you know there's probably what we call a polarization like parts that want to do it part that don't mm -hmm. so we want to listen to all of them not just the courageous ones that are like yeah we're gonna get there mm -hmm. um and it's the same with the dissatisfaction right that's why i said maybe the relationship is under the umbrella of the dissatisfaction so what there's one main part that is dissatisfied with life and what what do, what do other parts say about that or what is the dissatisfaction about there's anxiety i'm not happy with work uh i'm burned out there's you know there can be different aspects so we say you know like parts can be more complex than this but for simplicity at the very beginning, I just say one emotion, one part. Let's leave it there. And then we explore what else does that part feel? Because parts are more than feelings and can hold many different feelings. But it's helpful to be like, okay, one at a time, you know. And so then what, we'll see. What, what does that process um, look like of like working with a part? Is that like a, a guided meditation? Or it's like if you say, okay, we're going to work with I don't know, the part that's excited about ayahuasca, for example, like how, how would mm -hmm. we do that? It's, it's actually, it's a very interesting concept because it's like a personalized guided meditation. So I'm guiding you through a meditation and I'm asking you questions and based on what you respond, we go one way or another, mm -hmm. but it's done in a meditative state in a way that you go to your subconscious and you can actually go very, very deep. And do you, do you do that with any kind of like breath work or anything else, or it's all just, just kind of talking? What is, what is the process so, look like? So it depends, it depends on, it depends on the client. Mm -hmm. um, I personally feel my parts very somatically. 
like they show up in my body very strongly. So I tend to find it easier to combine it with some somatic practices. Um, breath is a way of grounding in IFS. We don't touch anything. We don't look around. We just tune into our breath. And that is how we use grounding. Um, breath work is an interesting thing to me because I know that for me, breath work used to be, I haven't tried it since, but breath work used to be a trigger. Huh. It would trigger anxiety. It would trigger like panic. Um, so it's just like go inside, see what's present. Some people are very visual mm-hmm. uh, and they actually see their parts and see where they're at and like in a lot of detail. Um so it works different with different people. So you tend to adjust to their experience. I'm really curious about your relationship with, with breath work. What, uh, what kind of breath work were you doing? Mm. Um, like holotropic breath work, even the simple thing of like the four, 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 you know, um, also, I don't remember the name of the guy. You probably know he's the one that does the cold baths. Wim Hof. Yeah. Yeah, so I've done, I've tried to do some videos like following him on YouTube and it was like, it's a lot for me. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Maybe I try it again and let you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I'd, a year later, how does it feel? <laughs> I'd be happy to, to guide you in the session if you want to do that. Yeah, I, I found in my experience, it's generally kind of two classes of people who have a lot of difficulty there. One is people who, who really need to have things under control and it's mm-hmm. like, you need to have everything in order, everything in its place. Mm-hmm. And like, I cannot let go of that. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm guessing if you're comfortable with psychedelics, that's probably not your case. Um, I think that used to be my case maybe a year ago. Okay. And I was one of the, I was, I dived into psychedelics, you know, even though now I try to make sure that, you know, the whole system is on board, every part is on board as much as possible. I've not, it's not always been like that for me. I used to get a lot of anxiety uh, before going into a trip. I used to um, have a lot of, like, I would pass out I know I don't pass out but I just blank out a lot of dissociation maybe for the first 30 60 minutes Mm -hmm. of a psychedelic experience yeah is that still happen for you or those more at the beginning yeah Yeah. not for the past uh yeah not in the last two trips that I've had Mm -hmm. which is very interesting that's why suddenly I was like huh I think this was just, at some point I was like, oh, this is how it is for everyone. You know, it just kicks you, it goes up and you just like blank out. And then I was like, huh, I think it's actually dissociation, you know, because it hasn't happened in the last two. In the last two, what has happened is like, I lose control, but I'm still conscious of what's happening inside of me. Maybe my memory span is like, I cannot remember what has happened two seconds ago, but I'm present with what's happening. And I feel like maybe I'm dreaming or I'm kind of like 
sleepy, but I'm very conscious of what's going on. So it's not that full blackout anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like you've, you've gotten used to that, that space where you've just let go and not in control Mm -hmm. of anything and just going with it. Yeah. Yeah. I've worked a lot with the parts of me that carry anxiety, carry hypervigilance, needing to have everything under control. And I feel there's a lot more trust within me and also trusting that whatever shows up, I'm going to be able to welcome. So it's not that panic anymore of like, what's going to come up during this, during the experience. It's going to be too scary. It's going to be too much. Um, Yeah. So yeah, before we get back to my hypothetical process, I'm really curious, like how, how has guiding other people or helping other people added to your own therapeutic experience, your own growth? Hmm. I feel in there's two ways. Uh, there's two things. One is the trust that I feel that my parts have in me that, you know, that, that gain trust of like, oh, you can handle it. You know, if we step back and we let you lead, you know exactly what to do. You know, there's that intuition, there's that aspect of it that if my controlling parts don't want to be in control and can just sit back, I'm able to, to flow in whatever it's coming up during the session, sitting for someone um, or during the experience. And then on the other hand, it's also, <laughs> um, there's a term that we use in IFS uh, that it's tormentor, like someone is your mentor by tormenting you, right? right? So what are the parts of me being very self-aware of what's coming up for me during, during the experience of someone else? Is there something that, you know, maybe a part of me is afraid of? Uh, Is there like a part of me is very worried about something? You know, these parts that come up during the experience of someone else and want to take control. We use this as trailheads. So, okay, these are parts of me that have this urge, have this strong worry that I need to work with. Uh, that need my attention, that need to know myself better. Um, And maybe they even need some healing. Mm -hmm. And that's why they have the urge of caretaking, of worrying, of making sure that everything's okay, or is there something wrong, you know? Yeah. So, so when you say trailhead, it's like, um, it's like a reminder to yourself, like, Oh, that's something to to work on or something to, to delve into. It's like, anytime there's a, sort of impulsive or compulsive like need to do something it's like oh wow okay we'll look into that more not necessarily yeah. in the session but 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 later yeah later definitely yeah, yeah definitely later um so yeah trailhead is also like a term used in ifs so it's like the beginning of your journey you know it's like maybe more commonly known as a trigger you know something is triggering you and you have this impulse or this urge to act in a certain way and Mm -hmm. that's your starting point towards 
healing or towards you know whatever that part is going to take you mm-hmm. okay okay cool yeah that makes a lot of sense so it's it's kind of on the one hand it's by seeing that you're capable of being there for others you sort of implicitly learn to trust in yourself it's like well if all these other people are trusting me like i can probably trust myself and then it's also <laughs> sort of like a no i mean i i think a lot of us work that way you know it's like i don't know i see that in myself as as well and as as a father and as you know a, a working psychedelic guide as well it's like when i see that other people value my input or value my presence it's like oh okay i must be doing something right you know and i think there's mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense you know i mean we need we need to use social cues in order to to orient ourselves in the world i think that's if we didn't do that there'd be mm-hmm. something wrong yeah <laughs> yeah but then but then on the other that hand relational aspect yeah yeah no definitely definitely and then i, I really like what you said about like you know kind of the the mirror it, it happens so so often you know when yeah when we feel ourselves getting sort of sensitive or upset or mm, yeah kind of impulsively pushed to do anything it's like that's a it's a really mm-hmm. good reminder to just like take a deep breath and yeah and think about it for a while See, yeah see especially on. when it's so intense for long hours you know yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. something's gonna come up for sure <laughs> yeah yeah well the, one of the last sessions i did is a couple couple weeks ago now there's a woman who she was she was convinced she was not gonna come down from the experience that we were doing ayahuasca and it was mm. and she'd been going for about like 14 hours um wow. and actually she thought it was all done she went to sleep I went to sleep everything was fine but then like three three hours later she woke me up and she's like this isn't over like I'm going crazy I don't know what's going to happen I didn't tell you on the forms but actually there's like a history of uh psychosis in my family like oh, I think man. I think I'm just done like you know and, and I was, I was like, like okay. why didn't you tell me on the forum <laughs> I was like oh my god okay well let's see you know and just just you know staying calm and actually we I have a, a little sauna that I built in like um, a trailer like a caravan mm-hmm. and so nice. got her in the sauna the ice bath like just trying to get her like out of her head into her body and she got really into yeah. that she's like she's walking around like stamping on the ground she's like I need to be grounded on the ground 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 and she started <laughs> she started vomiting and she's like yes this is what I need this is disgusting like I need to be disgusted get out of my head and she got her hands like in the vomit and was like putting her hands in it and like looking at she's like yes this is it and started like rubbing it in my hair and I was like (laughs) wow okay just breathe stay calm (laughs) all of that yeah yeah. (laughs) it was definitely a moment where I was like all right well (laughs) just just breathe like there's nothing else I can do here you know and and, um, Mm. definitely fighting that urge to to react and I felt I felt at that point like I mean it wasn't I wasn't in danger um you know I didn't feel like I really had to intervene I felt like it was more important just to to continue I don't know, think of it as like being an anchor an emotional anchor right when a person yeah has sort of lost their their ballast basically like they're not sure where mm-hmm. they're going and if, if you can be a presence there of just being calm and grounded and just like trusting even if you're not sure like you need to to find a place where you can just like transmit trust and confidence you know and that's that's yeah pulls people through yeah and that's really what they need I feel like IFS uh for me it has helped a lot like I 
I bumped into psychedelic assisted therapy before bumping into IFS and it's it's been amazing to be able to combine them just because when you come from this standpoint of like oh it's just a part of them you know like I know there's a self inside there and it's just a part of them that it's needing to express something that is just panicking that is trying to keep them safe that it has nothing to do with me um and you know you have someone in your house like breaking stuff like doing crazy stuff and you're like okay they just just a part that needs to express and and go ahead we'll figure it out later you know (laughs) (laughs) i welcome you I welcome that part. I bet it has really good reasons to be doing what it's doing right now. So just rub it all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll charge you more later for cleaning, but. (laughs) Yeah. 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 How do you like, what is the difference between um, like unconditional positive regard, right? So it's Carl Rogers sort of famous concept in the I mean he was working in the 60s the 70s and he was just like it's all good you know um whatever you do whatever you say I'm just here to accept you and the idea I, I think later was developed that basically the root of most people's difficulties in life is their inability to accept themselves and so if the therapist can model acceptance basically what, what we were saying before is that if the person sees oh this this person accepts me maybe I can start accepting myself and so the therapist would be a, sort of a um, external model for the internal acceptance that would, would later happen, right? So like, if you take a, a sort of a standard humanistic psychology philosophy like that, like what what's the added value of IFS? Like how is IFS different? I mean, I, I know, you know, we have the, the system of the protectors and the managers and all of that, but like on a, on a practical level, you know, you as a therapist, like you were, you've done work with psychedelics before IFS and after mm-hmm. IFS, like, how do you see that it, like, what are the tools it gives you that you didn't have before? I feel, um, I feel like just thinking of this understanding of the multiplicity of the mind, it's, it's just like a huge, it's very simple, but it's a huge step understanding that there can be this duality you know it's not all or nothing there can be a part that says yes and a part that says no and being able to hold both right and being able to and the point is not to accept one and not the other or accept both and let them fight till eternity but finding balance and harmony between them so what we tend to say is like whatever it is that they're bringing up it's very valid based on their experience that doesn't mean that we agree in the like to the extreme that they do things Mm -hmm. so so I feel like parts of me are very want to be very cautious about um, like bypassing with positivity right or yeah I welcome you but I'm not gonna let you destroy my house right I'm gonna let you express yourself 
Now, what what are your what are your intentions? What are your hopes in doing what you do? So we are not destroying everything all the time, right? And so we don't have to be as extreme all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yes, accepting what comes, but also with, with courage, with clarity, and with a lot of confidence. You know, is, is, this, is this balance between, it's not, <clears throat> not everything is compassion and kindness and curiosity. How can you merge that with courage and confidence to be like, okay, I hear you, I get you, but I can also be firm. Mm-hmm. And let's stop the loop and let's go to the point. What are your hopes and fears in destroying everything, right? What are you afraid would happen if you didn't do that? What's underneath it? I feel that's like very, very powerful to, okay, let's go past all this anger and rage. I know it's there for a reason. Tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it, it's sometimes IFS can seem sort of very different because there's a whole sort of a cosmology there. You know, it's this whole sort of intricate uh, play going on inside of our heads. And I think at mm. first it can seem very different, but then the more familiar you get with it, you're like, well, it's, it's really not that different. It's a, it's a sort mm-hmm. of slight shift in perspective that, yeah, like you said, it just gives us a little extra nudge in respecting all of our different aspects and giving them voice and giving them sort of their, their fair share of attention and, and care. Yeah, and also I feel it's something that's very interesting is also understanding that parts have their own relationships with each other, right? So it's suddenly all this, like, I mean, it happened to me, if suddenly all this rage and anger is coming out, and I would have said I hadn't gotten angry in over 10 years, you know, it's like, okay, so what was going on there? Who was suppressing you? Who is afraid of you coming out without the influence of psychedelics? You know, I feel like psychedelics bring you to very deep parts of your system that it's very hard to reach when you're not under the influence because all your managers are like blocking them, right? For really good reasons, but it's really hard to get there or it sheds light on parts that are that believe they are you like they're running your life on a daily basis Mm -hmm. so the power of it is they're shedding light on very important parts that have a huge impact and then with ifs is like okay so what is your relationship with the other parts who because one gets more like if you're trying to get someone's attention and they're ignoring you what's gonna happen like you start talking louder you start you know like agitating you start getting more and more extreme so it's the same with parts so a lot of the times these parts are 
very extreme because they've been suppressed for many years and yeah. they come up through a psychedelic experience. It's like, okay, let's explore the other side. You know, who are the parts that are not letting you express yourself or get attention outside of this experience? Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. So if we go back to this hypothetical situation. Mm-hmm. So, so first we've got, I don't know, a few weeks uh, working on all my different parts, sort of helping me to understand what all those different parts want, where they're coming from. Um, yeah. Is it, is it just sort of on understanding or starting with the, the healing process before psychedelics? So it depends. A lot of the times is just getting a map of the system, understanding what parts are involved in, in the topic and in the intention. Like what's your, in, like your intention of wanting to take ayahuasca is that you're not satisfied with your life. Okay, what are the parts that, are involved in that and also their relationship between them who's going to fight against who who's um who is um aligned with who and so on and then you you start talking to them understanding their hopes and fears individually or maybe by groups right so there's a group that is pro uh doing the ayahuasca and there's a group that is like uh-uh, my life is cool, I don't want to go there, right? So you can go individually or you can go by tribes, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by understanding more their hopes and fears, you start understanding what's the, uh, how extreme are they, right? If a part is very, very extreme, meaning I have to do this, yes, yes it means they are protecting something vulnerable and some healing might need to happen right so for example if there's a part that is no we're not doing that I'm very scared of what's going to come up any secrets any memories uh, I'm very scared of how my life is going to be changing maybe that needs a little bit of healing before you go into the experience be, just just to make sure that then the experience is not hijacked by that part and it's just like panicking or dissociation. And then, you know, like you already knew beforehand that that part needed healing, right? And then the medicine is just going to tell you we're not going to be able to go anywhere until you work with this part, which yeah. you knew beforehand already. So, So you just start getting a sense of how extreme they are and what is it that they need. So, so you've, you've been saying this, this phrase a few times, their, their hopes and fears, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm curious about that. What, uh, what more can you tell me there? Why, why are hopes and fears important? Yeah. Um, so when a part shares their hopes, the answer is going to be their good intention, the good intention that they have for you. right so I'm hoping for you to feel safe I'm hoping for you to get the rest you need I'm hoping for you to feel um, 
I don't know, in community, I'm hoping, you know, like something like that. So that's the good intention that they have for you. And that helps us have more compassion for whatever it is that they do, right? So for example, uh, the part of me that used to use carry a lot of anger and rage is like, I'm hoping for you to feel heard. Your needs are not being met. And this is my hopes in doing what I do in such an extreme way, right? Now, the fear is, it's going to point out towards the vulnerability. So what are you afraid would happen if you didn't become so angry and, you know, start expressing all this rage? Well, if I didn't do what I do, I'm afraid you would be abandoned. And this points out to the deep vulnerability that needs healing. That means there's another part that it's protecting that feels abandoned and needs to be, um, I guess, like needs to be integrated into the system, needs to know that I'm there for it and, and like not be alone and abandoned anymore. It's like a part that has been exiled from the system and has been pushed away. So it's on its own somewhere, um, kind of like lost yeah. in yeah. the, sh in the shadow. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think like language that non IFS people would use. Right. I would say, uh, our protectors are what other people call the ego and our exiles are maybe our shadows um, which then become our inner children, like they're all our inner children. But yeah, yeah. in IFS, we just have many inner children, yeah. <laughs> not just one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then the, the so these, these selves, they have their, their hopes and their fears, and those are, they're always intertwined, right? I mean, they're just two sides of the same coin, right? I mean, the the hope mm -hmm. is that in the example you gave, you know, the hope is that you'll be heard and the fears that you'll be abandoned, you know, it's, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, I guess I've, I've been thinking a lot about the, I mean, not just that our, our hopes and fears are intertwined, but oftentimes we actually want, there's a part of us that wants what we fear will happen. And there's a part of us that's afraid mm -hmm. of what we want will happen. So like at the same time as mm -hmm. in this, you know, this, this example, there's a part of you that, that hopes you'll be heard. There's a part of you that's afraid you'll be heard. Right. And at the same time, there's mm -hmm. a part of you that's uh, uh, afraid you'll be abandoned that there's a part of you that actually wants that because, you know, maybe that's, that's a way that you can be safe and, mm -hmm. and not, you won't be exposed, you know? And I think that's, uh, are you familiar with the, the work? Uh, what's her name? Byron, Byron Gate. No, I don't think so. No. Okay. Well, it's you should you should check it out. I really recommend. It's a, a really simple method. It's and you can just do it by yourself if you want. But it's just like a, a list of simple questions to ask yourself whenever you're mm -hmm. making judgments about another person in a relationship mm -hmm. or, or whatever. You just kind of flip them around and and ask them about mm -hmm. yourself. So if you're if you're like judging a person for being I don't know for never listening to you, rather than saying you know he should listen to me, you say. First of all, you'd say, well, he shouldn't listen to me. Say, I should listen to him. You say, I should listen to myself. Right? Mm -hmm. And so you go through all the different statements, do all the, the turnarounds, and you just kind of look at it and see which ones resonate with you. And just kind of, you know, it's, it's basically, yeah, it's like a, a form of, of, I don't know, 
guided introspection or, or something. I don't, I don't really know how to, how to phrase it, but, but, but it can be really powerful. And, and if you do that with not just with a person, but with like a dream or aspiration you have, that often comes up as mm-hmm. well. It's like, I want to be, I don't know, uh, I don't know, successful, whatever, but it's like, yeah, but there's also a part of me that, that doesn't want to be right. And mm-hmm. it, it's, I don't know, I think it can be really interesting the way that anytime we think we have it sort of clearly understood, there's always another level of, of complication and a little sort of detail there to be yeah. worked out. Yeah, 100%. So it's, it's that aspect of parts have relationships with each other, you know, and there's plur- probably some polarity. The polarity is when parts want opposite things or are trying to achieve opposite things. And and it can go as deep as like, I had one exile uh, that needed to be seen to heal. And I had another exile that needed not to be seen to be healed, right? And they both came at the same time, obviously, because one was triggering the other one, right? (laughs) So it's like, It's like that thing of like, okay, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here until they both trust you. Um, So it can go as deep as the needs of of that vulnerability to be healed. And then in terms of protectors, like it's happening all the time, like at a higher level. And what you said, what you just shared about those questions of introspection is very, very interesting. In, In IFS, we tend to say that if a part of me is judging you for something in particular, um, it's probably judging another part inside of me that resonates with what you're doing, right? So for example, if you're getting angry and you're raising your voice and a part of me is like, oh, this guy cannot control himself, you know, that's probably happening inside of me. So this part is making a judgment also internally towards the part of me that wants to raise her voice. Um, Or yeah, this person is not listening. Okay, who is not listening inside, Mm -hmm. right? So it's always that we call that um, doing a U-turn, right? So parts are experts in externalizing. It makes life so much easier to make it about others, right? So we make a U-turn. Okay, what's happening inside of me when when he is not listening, you know, who needs to be listened, who is being judged, why are you judging, um, and so on. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's good stuff, yeah. <laughs> so, so okay, so I've gone through this process of sort of mapping out my parts, my exiles, my protectors, my managers, and I've sort of made peace with uh, the more extreme parts so that they're going to be okay with me going into this experience. Mm -hmm. And then what happens next? (laughs) Then you go into the experience. Um, I feel depending on the substance, you need one type of support or another. Uh, But we there's also this belief that self is infectious, you know, it's contagious. Like if there's self energy in the room, maybe you're not in self, but 
I can be your self energy, right? So that's the, the goal when we're sitting for someone that's going through an experience like that. Um, most of the substances, or if you're doing it in a therapeutical level, a lot of the things that are going to come up are hard to deal with. So you have self energy in the room to welcome that, bring the calmness, uh, bring the compassion, bring the confidence that you might be missing in that moment. Um, and then it's beautiful when the medicine, you know, at some point gives you that burst of self energy when you start feeling like you're connected to everyone and everything, you know, it's like this collective self energy that we call in IFS is like this collective oneness of like, we are all connected, nature is connected. Um, and I have, we can see the power of love that we have within us. If, you know, we didn't have any wounds, but sometimes, the experience does not give you that. So it's just being that self-centered energy in the room when someone is going through such a hard time. So this, this sensation of, of love and, and connection, unity, that's something that, I mean, yeah, a lot of people experience with psychedelics, but you're saying that's mm -hmm. something that's sort of theorized in IFS. That's, that is self yeah, so in IFS, we say everyone has a self, right? It's the center of our, like our true being, our core that cannot be damaged and has not been damaged, no matter what we've gone through. And I sometimes this is hard for people to believe, but for, you know, like IFS, it's been ongoing for maybe over 40 years. And, you know, like psychiatrics, psychologists have been working with very like people that carry a lot or that have gone through a lot. And even those have self, they have never encountered, encountered anyone that hasn't have a self. And then this idea of maybe more towards a spiritually aspect of it is like all the self energies are, are connected you know we're all that at our core and when and it's also like connected to earth connected to nature connected to something bigger than us that is not just here it's like everywhere mm -hmm. and that's I mean because IFS typically is not combined with psychedelics right I mean it's it's its own sort of field and that mm -hmm. that that connection you're talking about like when you when you when you say it's connected to nature, like, is that, is that your interpretation or is that part of IFS or, cause I mean, to me that there sounds like a, a, a transition there between psychology and something else. Is that your personal addition or is that like part of IFS? The, the sense of unity um, and connection. The, the collective self is part of IFS. Okay. Uh, that is that talk about that um and the connection to earth i know a lot of people have experienced that yeah. have you ever heard of tim ferris yeah. yeah 
Yeah, so he describes IFS as psychedelics without drugs, <laughs> which is very, uh, very accurate. Hmm. So you can get to a point where you experience something very similar um, when you're in, in like, in self. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, I mean, there's a, a sort of perennial interest for me is the, what I see is a kind of continuum between psychology and, and spirituality or just so when we, when we haven't done any personal work, we sort of, we take everything at face value, right? So uh, I don't know for children, like everything I feel is as real as anything else. It's in fact, it's often the only thing that's real. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, as we go through a process of maturation, we begin to sort of see, well, like maybe my emotions aren't the only emotions in the world. Maybe my emotions aren't even the, the only thing within me. And developing, you know, the the witness or or you know whatever you want to call it, some other sort of deeper form of consciousness through meditation or or therapy or whatever it is, sort of learning to separate ourselves from our emotions to a degree, and you know, recognizing them, respecting them, but not reacting automatically in response to them. And I mm-hmm. I, I think if you just continue that process further, you begin to get to a a more and more essential self with a capital S in, in IFS, you know, a a form of understanding, you know, who am I and how do I behave in the mm-hmm. world? That's just further and further from the sort of vicissitudes of daily life and more about, you know, curiosity and compassion and the, what is it? The seven C's in, <laughs> in, in FS. And, and to me, I mean, it, it gets to a point where it, it, it basically seems like enlightenment to me. I mean, that, that seems to be the mm-hmm. goal of pretty much any spiritual tradition. You know, and, and when you talk about these experiences of, of openness and connection, that to me, I mean, that's the, the experience described by any, I don't know, Buddhist or Hindu master or anyone who's Christians as well. You know, I mean, there's, everyone's got different ways of getting there. You can, you can fast for 40 days, you can, you know, pray for 48 <laughs> hours, you know, you can, you can do whatever you want, but like, I think they're all getting to the same place of mm-hmm. sort of letting go of the attachment to superfluous identities and getting closer and closer to this, this sort of self. Mm-hmm. Does that resonate with you? I mean, does it seem like I'm importing uh, external doctrines and it's not helpful or like what? No, no, hundred percent. Uh, I do agree. There's, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot of similarities, and I do agree that they're all trying to get to the same place. And they're. Um, I feel that what's different is the journey, right? So, I guess maybe what I'm more familiar with is mindfulness, right? You become the witness. You witness and you let it pass and you let it go right mm-hmm. um and you know maybe it's because i haven't done it enough you know maybe there's something that i'm missing but i feel the way in which you get to that consciousness or or that point of this who I am in the world um it's different like they're there um 
but how you get there is different. And I know from my experience, like, like maybe it's the westernized version of Buddhism, but I have seen uh, using like spiritual bypassing, right? So people sometimes get to focus on where they have to be. They know how it looks like. And it also happens in IFS, right? There's parts that know what self is supposed to say, what self, how self is supposed to feel, and they just embody that. But by embodying that, you're bypassing other emotions, other sensations by trying to get there too fast. Um, but I do agree that they're all trying to get to the same place. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I've I've got my map. I've made peace with my parts. I'm in the experience, and I don't know. Um, yeah, one of my protectors starts to act up. Uh, starts getting nervous. Uh, you know what? What is this? I'm seeing all kinds of crazy colors and shapes and and animals and whatnot. And like, I don't know what's going on. Uh, you know, I I don't. This isn't what I came in for. I wanted to work on, on you know, my my own personal existential issues and my relationship stuff. And like now, I'm like in the jungle with with uh, a panther. Like, what's going on here? How do you <laughs> how do you how do you help me through that? I would say part of the integration as well is having this. I I I use this mantra of whatever's in the way is the way right That's so really and whatever and and whatever shows up in your mind you have the right to ask so i would say okay does the panther have any messages for you about your life uh maybe it does would you like to ask it what does it want you to know maybe see why is it here what is it trying to, you know, hear its message? And a lot of the preparations is about this as well, trying to help those intellectual parts to relax and not try to make sense out of things. Uh, there's a couple of really good meditations, like IFS meditations that you use for preparation as well. And it's like, reject nothing. You know, even if it's the most abstract image, you know, even if you're just like suddenly becoming a sponge, ask it, what's the meaning? What is it trying to, what does it really want you to know? What does it want you to get by showing up in this way? Yeah. yeah. Are you, are you familiar with Gestalt therapy at all? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So Dick mm -hmm. Schwartz, creator of IFS, he was he was a Gestalt therapist first, and and a lot mm -hmm. of his his perspective is informed from that. And it, that what you just described sounds mm -hmm. really familiar to Fitz Pearls's interpretation of dreams. So what he would have people do is mm -hmm. like, if you're dreaming, yeah, I don't know, you're dreaming your sponge, and you're in the kitchen, and I don't know, someone's trying to put soap on you, right? So he would just take you through, you know, after the fact, obviously, it's, so it's different uh, than, than while you're in it. But after the fact, he would kind of take you through. So, okay, now you're the sponge. Like, what, what does the sponge have to say? How does the sponge feel? Okay, now you're the soap. 
what does a soap want to say? How does a soap feel? And he just take you through the whole scene and have you identify with, with each of the different parts. And it's sometimes people don't get anything out of it, but sometimes it's incredibly powerful. And in like 30 seconds, mm-hmm. you can just be like, Oh my God, it can be, it can be really yeah. powerful stuff. Yeah. But so, so yeah. but you're doing this, I mean, you're doing this live when a person's, you know, under the influence of, of some pretty powerful substances, are you entering into like an ongoing dialogue with them or, I mean, are they with like the blindfold and, and headphones listening to their music or what, what does the scene look like? So normally they are normally they're blindfolded with their headset, uh, their own music, but it is true that sometimes when parts get worried, right. It's like, they just, they just come out of it and they're, they need help. So when I feel that, I mean, I've been myself in experiences where, I I don't know how to say this, but being IFS informed, and I know that you are not IFS informed, but I've seen or heard about your work, and I, I feel it aligns a lot with IFS, your approach does and I feel like some people is more brute force right so listening to those hopes and fears as well uh, when someone comes out of it it's for a good reason right like something's going on that's very distressing that's maybe they're scared maybe they're annoyed and they're afraid of going there so how can you help them relax to be able to go inside again and one very important question in IFS is how do you feel towards? So, okay, the panther is there. How do you feel towards the panther? Are you annoyed at it? Are you scared of it? Because that's another part, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, okay, how can we help the annoyed or the scared part relax so you get the message from the panther? Mm-hmm. And then when that relaxes, okay, you go inside again, maybe you help them breathe, put pressure on where they're breathing that helps them, you know, go inside again. Uh, It's just like when they come out, you just assist them to be able to go inside again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. So you've, you've helped me sort of recenter. I've got my message from the Panther. Um, and let's just say in this, this scenario, I've, I've got a clear message, like, yeah, polyamory is the thing I need to just let go of my, my insecurities, my fears, my jealousy. And like, I don't know, uh, 20 minutes after the session, I'm calling my partner and it's like, it's polyamory or, or nothing. What, uh, <laughs> what do you, what do you do with that? As, as I would say. I would say, don't make any big decisions in the next, I don't know, few days. I don't know how many days I would say, just like sit with it. Maybe that's the message, but just because that's the message does not mean that your parts are ready for it just yet, right? So how can you integrate that message? Okay, so we do the same thing again. Um. So this is a message. How, are, how is everyone feeling about this message? The same thing. What parts are coming up as you receive this message? What parts are receiving? What parts are resisting to the message, right? And then, you know, you have jealousy. You know, you have insecurities. 
okay, let's work on those one by one, you know, there's no rush. And, you know, there's, <laughs> this is maybe an added thing of my own personal story, but it's not all or nothing. It's not monogamy or non-hierarchical polyamory, right? So there's so many grays in between. You don't need to go from zero to a hundred. So how can you how can you start expanding your boundaries and communicate with your partner to get to what the message you know and and maybe you learn things um, in the journey and just go at the pace of your system I would say and this is the message what needs to be worked on. So maybe the message is not so much polyamory is the thing, but you need to work on your jealousy and insecurities to be more free to love, to be more yourself. And then the relationship will shape itself through that healing. Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> So then in, in, in your experience, is this a sort of, so I mean, we're doing a, f a few weeks of preparation afterward, experience be generally one night, I'm assuming, um, mm -hmm. and then another few weeks of integration, right? Mm -hmm. And is, in your experience, is it sort of kind of like, okay, I've gotten another few rungs up the ladder and now I'm in sort of a new reality? Or is like, how do you, how durable are the changes basically? That's the question. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> a part of me hates to say this. Uh, I have a, one of my IFS trainers says, uh, we're always beginning, never ending, right? So what this means is like, and I can, you know, in my own experience, and maybe this is why my response to the previous question was like that shift doesn't happen so quickly. You start feeling differently. You start integrating that into your life. Maybe, oh, I've never not been jealous before. What is, what is going on here? You know, um, I do feel that with IFS, if you, and I guess like with everything, um, I, I just mentioned IFS maybe because I feel it's the most efficient way. Um, there's this process that we call unburdening where we actually do like uh, let go of the belief, let's let go of the pain, let go of everything that was imposed in you that does not belong to you. And that, once you do that, you feel changes like literally from one day to another, mm. but you need to keep checking in with that part. Um, what happens is, or the theory behind it is like through an unburdening, the same with psychedelics, you are creating new narrow pathways, right? So you need three to four weeks going back to that part, making sure that it's okay, making sure that it doesn't feel abandoned again, that it doesn't feel rejected again, making sure that the burden or the beliefs that it carries don't come back until those new narrow pathways are set. Uh, but you can start feel the change 
literally from one day to another. Um, now, the bigger change of I'm ready to go from non-monogamy to polyamory, there's a lot of parts that hold a lot of beliefs, a lot of burdens. It's not just one, right? So it's like going back there again and again until, you know, and and it's this thing of like never ending, always beginning when one is released, it gives spe- it gives space for the other one to show up. And then when this is released, it's going to give space to the other one to show up. And it was hard for some of my parts to, to just accept the idea of like, the journey is never ending, you know, it's not about, will I ever reach enlightenment? Probably not. <laughs> Maybe a few seconds every now and then, you know, but, but it's how can I be there for my parts to, you know, throughout the journey of becoming myself again um, and do it with more trust, more calmness, more confidence and, and knowing that at this point, anything, like I cannot think of anything that I wouldn't welcome. And that's a relief. And I have a tool that's going to help me through it. And, um, but yeah, I don't know if that answered the question. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it definitely brings up another question, which is just, I mean, the simple would ask is like, what's, what's the payoff, you know, because I, I imagine uh, a lot of people when they hear that, like uh, never ending, always beginning, that's going to sound kind of depressing to, to a lot of people. Yep. It's like, wait, that's mm-hmm. not what I signed up for. Like I wanted to be mm-hmm. totally transformed in, in, you know, two months, you know? So how do you, how do you explain like, what is, what is the value of this work and on a yeah. personal level, not, not object. Like, I mean, starting mm-hmm, from, from mm-hmm. you personally, like how, how has 100%. it helped you? hundred uh, percent. I feel it's that last piece of like, um, I'm not getting rid of my emotions. It doesn't mean that I'm not ever going to feel jealous ever again. It's just that jealousy is not going to take over. Uh I'm not going to feel the urge to act upon it. I will have a choice and I can welcome it and sit with it and nurture it. And I can do that with a lot more clarity, right? It's like, especially when it comes to to couples or relationships, it's like, oh, I'm just going to become Buddha and nothing's going to matter. Like, no, no, no. And the other person is going to do whatever they want. Like, no, 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 no. It doesn't work like that, right? It's like you gain more clarity and more calmness to see what works, what doesn't work, mm-hmm. what what it's a reaction from the now and what it's a reaction from the past. And then it's like, okay, I feel jealous. What do I need right now, right? What do I need from me? What do I need from my partner? Also knowing that my partner can say no, um but being able to approach it with a lot of more peace and calmness and clarity is a huge thing like for me clarity is a highlight in my own personal journey yeah yeah no that's huge that's huge and i think i think 
Yeah, many, many people spend most of their lives without that clarity of really knowing what exactly do I feel and where exactly is that coming from? And it's so easy to just exist and it's it's almost like you're inside a, a pinball machine just bouncing from one emotion to the next and just responding to this endless sort of stream of, of inputs without ever really mm-hmm. finding that center, that self that can, can be like, hey, wait a minute, maybe I don't need to bounce around so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think mm-hmm. that's that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. yeah, and that can happen from one day to another one, but just one part, right? Mm-hmm. As I was saying, there's so many parts that are involved in how we relate to other people. Um, but once you work with one part, it's really transformational. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What what do you think the the limitations of IFS are? That's a good question. <laughs> None. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, our, I would say the therapist parts getting in the way, right? Um, not being able to navigate like if I cannot if I'm afraid of my own anger I'm not going to be able to manage your own right or be there for you in it if it's very similar to 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 plant medicine it's like you cannot take anyone where you haven't been before Right. So so it's if it's my own parts getting in the way when I'm guiding someone, if I'm getting frustrated because we're not going anywhere, if all oh, this part keeps showing up or, oh, it's super. He's getting very dissociative. What should I do now? You know, how do I bring him back? Like um, and it's hard because you need. You know, it's like your own healing is going to be what's gonna be in service of others so you know being able to be in that journey yourself um you know it's not it's not just um it's not just a flow a structure a set of questions that you ask and that's it right the limitation is how much in self the practitioner or the therapist is yeah and i think that's the same in any any modality of, of therapy. I think therapists often don't admit that, but, but it's definitely true. You know, I mean, I think we all have a sort of a range of people that we're capable of, of helping and a range of people that we're not, you know, and it's with time, hopefully that, that range expands. Um, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, I mean, do you, do you have like a, a population who you feel like, yeah, these are my people, this is who, you know, this, this is what I'm good at. This is what I want to work with. Or are you kind of trying to work with, with all kinds of different people? Or, I mean, how, how do you, how do you deal with that? So I don't feel that I have a, a yes or no, you know, like I know a lot of therapists is like, oh, let's have a call, see if we are a good fit. Um, I don't feel, for me, it's more like how comfortable the person feels with me. Um, I have never said no to someone that wants to work with me. Um, but I do feel that I I can be more 
in self with people that have suffered something like me, like narcissistic abuse, uh, CPTSD, people that have anger, people that maybe are empaths and highly sensitive. Um, it's, it just happens naturally. Um, and yeah, that's easier for me to be in self for those type of people for some reason, uh, probably because that's more aligned to my experience and my own healing journey. Um, but as I was saying before, like that tormentor aspect of it is also, you know, what we, what we do during a psychedelic experience when we're sitting for others, we apply that as well when we're guiding someone in an IFS session. So what part of me is getting impatient with your part? And that's something that I have to work on, right? It's not about us not being a good fit. Um, it's about me not being able to stay present enough with you or my part getting frustrated at the process or your part, something like that. Do you think there's something about, about you that draws you to IFS particularly? Or do you think it's just, it's a good model and you happen to find it? Or do you think there's, there's something about you and your story that, that makes it a good fit for you? <laughs> I felt like some emotions coming up. Um, I feel that the, the, the first thing that's coming up for me mm. is um, I used to have a lot of numbing, suppressing and avoidant parts. So when a lot of stuff started coming up for me with the psychedelic uh, assisted therapy, I didn't know how to handle it. So when I bumped into IFS, it brought so much relief to be like, oh, or, you know, take shame off of me, like, oh, a part of me feels angry. I'm not angry, you know? That depersonalization was huge for me. Um, and then also I have, <laughs> I have very strong intellectual, skeptical, and, you know, parts that, doers that we're going to get this right and whenever someone would say a lot of grief or sadness is coming up and they were like okay hug your sadness and I'm like what the fuck are you talking about I, I don't get it you know <laughs> I'm like they're crying my heart out you're asking me to what <laughs> so so when I bumped into yeah. an exile it was like man this is it I can hold it now. So that depersonalization is like one is not as overwhelming. It's not as intense because you're separating from it. But at the same time, you're connected and you get it. A lot of my parts don't even talk. It's like, I just get it. And now I can hold you in that sadness. Um, and then... <sighs> And then this concept of like self-love, it was just like, this is freaking it. Like, I never felt, you know, how people take baths and especially maybe women do their nails. And it's like, I never resonated with it. Yeah, taking a bath is nice, but 
10 minutes into it, I'm like, okay, I'm done, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So it was this like really experiencing it and being like, this is it. Like, this is self-love. This is self-care. This is me being there for myself in whatever way it wants to show up. Um, Yeah, I, I don't know if that's, you know, what happens to a lot of people, but definitely the depersonalization was the first thing that drew me into it. And then this sense of like, this is how I hold myself. And this is how I bring compassion to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for that. That sounds, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> sounds good. Yeah, it sounds like it's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's an evidence-based framework it's intelligible um and it's a yeah it's a sort of solid rational way to get toward that more sort of ambiguous sort of spiritual self-love stuff that yeah a lot of times is it it is bullshit all the time a lot of people do it's you know it's as you said it's another form of spiritual bypass you know people just want to go straight to the Mm self-love without without working through the stuff they need to work through to get there yeah and and we we tend to say ifs is a release constraint model so it doesn't matter how many for me at least it doesn't matter how many times i look myself at the mirror and say i love you if there's a part of me that doesn't believe that right so i feel you can get there it's just gonna take you forever to really let that sink in. So for me, it's more like, okay, do an affirmation, look at yourself in the mirror and see what comes up. What is the part that's resisting? Where is the constraint about you that really feeling that self-love and releasing that constraint? And then it's like, damn, this is how it feels. You know, not needing to push it, not needing to make myself believe that I love me, this is it. And it's an amazing, amazing. And through psychedelics, you can get there as well. It's just like, yeah, it's an amazing experience that I would (laughs) definitely uh, wish that everyone could have. And is there, is there like a consortium of people who do IFS with psychedelics or is this sort of your guys' thing, your trailblazers and you just kind of invented it all or how, give me some, some context mm-hmm. here. Yeah, so there is, um, and actually Richard Schwartz himself, the founder of IFS is, is really trying to merge them too. The IFS Institute and the MAPS Institute are quite close to each other. Um, So MAPS is the institute in the US that is doing um, the trial research on MDMA, how to make it uh, legal to treat CPTSD and PTSD. And it's very interesting because they never introduced IFS to, to the people that they were giving MDMA to, but they find that most of it do it on their own when they're under the influence of MDMA, um, which is very, very interesting. And then um, Richard Schwartz himself has been experiencing with ketamine. Um, also that is legal in the US. Um, 
and or at least in some states and and he there's like a big movement of wanting to bring psychedelics to IFS therapists and wanting to bring IFS to shamans or you know people that offer that experience to others so I've actually done training on combining them both and there is training for whether you're an IFS therapist and want to integrate psychedelics um, or you're a psychedelic uh, practitioner and you want to you know integrate IFS into your practice so they are there's an effort going on there's a Facebook group as well um, it's called IFS and psychedelic assisted therapy I don't know how big the community is maybe around 2000 people uh, but yeah but it is becoming a big thing at least in the US and I know a little bit in Spain um, they're trying to to do that too Mm -hmm. Well, maybe one one last question, if you don't mind, just yeah. to kind of wrap mm -hmm. it up. I guess I'm curious, what's kind of, what's on sort of the horizon for you? Like, what's at the the limits of your understanding, your comfort zone? Like, where, like, if you've if you've got the sort of IFS psychedelic thing nailed down, like, where where are you looking toward for your future? So, I'm the co-founder of a company that's called IFS Guide. Um, and our mission is to make IFS more affordable and accessible to people. So it's more about people that it's, there's different things. So one is like, how can you bring this tool, you know, to more people? How can you do that outreach? Uh, and it's like people at many different stages of their life, like big trauma, small trauma, no trauma at all. We all have conditioning. So how can you make them aware of these amazing tools, you know, and the combination of them? And then it's also how can you assist people in doing these things on their own in a safe way? So in IFS guide, most of the things that we do is IFS self-healing. So we have a community on Facebook, we have weekly calls, we have what we call the IFS challenge where we teach people how to explore their own systems. And then we are building an app. We also have a chat bot that will guide you through like part of the IFS process and building up that right now at the moment. And then there's an app that it, now it's in beta testing. And what we want to bring to the world is like these tools that will assist or help people in their journey, whether they have a therapist, whether they need it and they cannot afford it, or whether um, they just are here for curiosity and personal growth, right? Um, so I would say those two things like doing the outreach so more people know about this and growing this resources and tools and then at the same time for me personally I feel like I'm a very at very early stages of the journey um, for both psychedelics and IFS um, and I know there's a lot more for me in it for my own 
personal healing for my own growth and um, just building that up and and making something hopefully beautiful and and transformational for people. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's amazing. That sounds like really really interesting projects. Definitely, definitely. I'm curious to see how those how those develop. Thank you. Yeah. So, so yeah, if people want to get in touch with you, they've got your website, no? ifsguide.com. Yeah, exactly. And ifsguide on Instagram and, and Facebook as well. So, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And so people can, it, like when you say it's, it's self-guided, is that, I mean, how, how does that work? They can just like get into the Facebook group or on the website, they sign up for some kind of program and, and it's, so, for example, um, the chat bot, mm-hmm. uh, if you message IFS Guide on Facebook, mm-hmm. the chat bot re- will respond okay. and will give you options. Do you want to be guided through an IFS process? Do you want resources? Do you want to get in touch with one of us? That's part of it. Then our IFS community is free. And we have weekly calls and we have people that have a lot of experience and we always have people that are new and are just exploring. So if anyone wants to join that, they just go on Facebook. Um, it's called um, IFS Self Healers Community and they can access the calls through there. Beautiful. And that can be a good starting point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time, for your insight. Yeah. Thank everything. you, Eric. It's yeah. a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. Likewise. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we'll be in touch. Mm-hmm.